My name is Saeed Charbini, and I'm here with my co-host, Simon. Hello. And we have a very special guest today. I'm going to let her introduce herself. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Radhika Nath, and I'm running for DPS School Board in District 1. Well, thank you for joining us, Radhika. Why don't you go ahead and start with telling us a little bit about your background, like where you're from, what you've done, stuff like that. Oh, All right. You're, you're a doctor, right? I am a PhD doctor. I came to this country as an immigrant many years ago, uh, pursuing higher education, and I earned a doctorate in public administration and policy, and I've worked in the field of healthcare this entire time. I became an American in 2011, and since then I've been much more of a grassroots activist working in healthcare. Specifically, I was uh, one of the team that was running the campaign for Amendment 69, universal healthcare. That was back in 2016. I remember that 2015 one, yeah. and 16. Yep, right. And you know, once I became a parent, in 2014, my husband and I adopted our sons locally. And so, you know, uh, once I became a parent, in this country, it feels like you have to get engaged with the public education system. And that's where my journey with the school started. Here I am, a few years later, aware of how many ways DPS could be better. So many ways. So many ways. Um, so I'll jump in then and start with... DPS has a long history. Hold on, I'm going to stop you right there. DPS is Denver Public Schools, right? That's correct. That's yes. all I know about DPS. Yeah, that's all, <laughs> I know. all right, good. So, Simon, I want you to ask all the questions you can ask whenever you can ask them if you don't understand a single thing we're saying. Sounds good. Okay. So, DPS, Denver Public Schools, uh, has a, a long history and issues with charter schools. Mm-hmm. So, I want to start with those. We'll talk later about the organizations that are pushing them and what's going on and funding that follows that. But let's start with charter schools. Can you tell us the basic construct and idea of a charter school? Sure. Actually, the history is not that long, but let's come back to that next. Yeah. Um, it, it feels very long. Yeah, it feels, yeah it's more <laughs> of a feeling. Yeah, you're right. Um, so when I think of a charter, to me, a charter is a document that's saying that there's something special about an entity. So if I think about a true charter, because, you know, us being Americans, we like to innovate, we like to do something different, and charter is one way to innovate. And what you do is you say, I am going to innovate pedagogically in a school. I'm going to do this little, either an experiment or do something different. So if you know, there is a school for the hearing impaired in Denver. That school is a public school, but it's a charter public school, which says that our charter states that we are teaching things differently so that people who are children who are hearing impaired can learn a different, through a different methodology. And everybody is welcome to come and learn through this methodology. However, we're teaching this way. It's a perfect example of a limited charter right? Because people can go in and learn something different. Similarly, there's one for, I think, indigenous culture. There's a school that teaches children 
because we've lost so much of the indigenous culture, mm. the school's also open to everybody, so a parent can choose that, you know, maybe I want my child to learn about American history from the perspective of the first settlers of this land. Let's go to that school. Mm. Again, a limited charter and, you know, something very specific. What we have currently in our landscape is so many charters. So it's no longer either a small scale thing or, uh, or an experiment. Well, and I have a question, or maybe a comment slash question. I think you explained charter schools beautifully mm -hmm. and the idea that, that they were supposed to follow, which is being very limited and for certain sort of experimental things that could help with other schools. But now we are talking about there an overabundance of them. Can you tell us what percentage of the Denver public school system is charter schools? So actually, if you look at true charters only, it's not that many because, um, and let's come back to this in a little bit. Right now, traditional public schools, mm -hmm. traditional public schools that are not charters or any other type of school, are 47% of DPS. That's where you're getting this idea that, you know, oh my gosh, there are lots of non-traditional public schools in DPS. Some of them are charters and some of them are something else. Okay. And we'll come back to that in a bit. But hold the thought, because here's what's happening, is that if you've got charters, uh, then in DPS, charters are automatically exempt from 15 regulations that a traditional public school has to stick to. So think about it this way. The starting line for the schools is different. The finish line is at the same place because based on how we evaluate schools and, you know, children and the high stakes testing that you've heard about, the finish line may be the same that, you know, how are your kids performing on the test? But the starting line is different now because if you are a charter, then you're exempt from 15 regulations. Could you mention some of those regulations that have been yes, most could, controversial? Could, yes. The biggest one is collective bargaining, teacher pay. That is true, yeah. It's one of the, you know, ones. But there's also things like, you know, setting your own calendars, having autonomy. So some of the waivers for charter schools could be salary schedule for teachers, teacher dismissal procedures, uh, payment of teacher salary, employment of principals, in-service training, insurance, just any employee termination, staff selection and pay. I mean, you can see most of these. So where's the innovation? It, is it pedagogic or is it financial innovation? Uh, it seems to be like skirting a lot of unions and organizations that are trying to protect employees as well. So let's let's think about that for a second because there will there are many who will claim with some basis in evidence that the entire charter school movement was a union busting movement. That that if you create a system where you do not have to employ licensed professional teachers, then you have cut out the most expensive thing mm -hmm. in a school mm -hmm. on which you have to spend money, and Sorry. now you're freed up. So now you can hire teachers that are not licensed. I mean, are there any kind of credentials or anything like that that they have to? Like, do they have to have, like, teaching degrees or any kind of certifications or so teach for america interns come out with what five or six weeks 
of an internship and go straight into inner city schools in various parts of the country or in some of our schools. I'll give you an example. Last year, you know, DPS keeps touting that there's a huge teacher shortage. And I like to think that it's not a teacher shortage so much as a shortage of professionally licensed teachers who are unwilling to work for peanuts. Yeah. Mm. Well, and that was what I was going to say is the fact that we pay our teachers probably the least, one of the least in the country. Today, there was somebody who posted an article that said that we are probably at the bottom of the rung. Yeah. And so if you think about the fact that last year DPS paid in finder's fees $225,000 for about 70 TFA-trained teachers. That's finder's fees. That's yeah. not salary. That's, not, that's finder's fees for 70 TFA teachers. I mean, it just says that they had to pay people to go find the teachers. Mm-hmm. And that that says mm-hmm. a lot in itself. But who did they find? Who, who, Whoever who they, they could, I'm sure. No, no, no. Well, they're I mean, they're as far TFA, as, like, it right? Matter, are they? Te- teach for America. Yeah. Teach so for America. So you talk about they had a very short window of training, so. Maybe. Right, right, exactly. So so do you know how the program works? So th- this Not is. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. So Teach for America uh, goes into various universities and colleges around the country, sometimes some of the top ones. And they select some really bright young people who are doing well in their studies. And then they say that, you know, um, if you commit to uh, training with us and then going and teaching for a specified period of time, we will help you pay down your college debt. Sounds like a great scheme. Mm, Yeah. Except you don't have to be interested in teaching. You don't have to be committed to teaching. You don't even have to know the subject you're going to teach. You don't have to be professionally licensed in actually knowing about how teaching works, what does child development look like. Mm. None of those things are the things you learn, right? So you get five to six weeks of training. Now contrast that with people who go out to colleges for their teacher training degrees and that are spending money on that and that are coming in fully trained and excited about working with children and teaching them various subjects, mm-hmm. right? So Teach for America interns come in and they teach in our schools. And then um, some of them actually then are groomed by the organization to continue on into the quote-unquote policy field. Would you like to run for office? Would you like to be a school board member? You should go and look up how many of our school board members are TFA. I hadn't thought to even look that. Yeah. Um, ba- basic question: How many school board members are there on the seven? D- seven. Yes. DPS five. Members. Yes. Um, so DPS, as a school district, has five sub districts. Each district gets its own representative, mm. and then there are two board members at large. Okay, and how long is each term? Is it term limited? Every term is four years, Mm -hmm. and you get two terms before you're term limited. Okay, like a state senator in in Colorado. And they alternate uh, which districts are elected each year, or each session, or or term. So three in one, four in the other. Yes. So this, this election season, we've got three seats up. Okay. 
So one at large, mm -hmm. which is Happy Haynes, she's term limited. District one, which is my district, Anne Rowe, she's term limited. Mm -hmm. And district five, which is Lisa Flores. Okay. Lisa is not term limited, but has decided not to seek a second term. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So your seat is an open seat. Yes. And how many other candidates are there, as far as you know? Two others. Okay. So it's not, not it's a not lot of competition. too competitive. Is it paid? It's an unpaid position, and I'd say it's competitive. Mm -hmm. Well, I only say that. I'm sorry. I should specify more. I only say that because lately we've been having so many races with like seven, yeah. eight, nine it's people. Not like the, it's not like the U.S. Senate yeah. primary with 11, like with 11 <laughs> candidates. It's you, more reasonable. You in the just sense, scared yeah. me there. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> yes, you're, you're right. Absolutely. Um, I see where you're coming yes. from now. Yes, we have. I have two opponents. Actually, all three of the races currently have three candidates in each okay. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's not too much more time before the election, so I don't think anybody else jumping in, right? Oh, you scared me again. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the structure because we talked about the charter schools, the limited charters, and then the general charter schools, and then the traditional public schools. So how does DPS play a role in this? Are charter schools part of DPS? And would you, as a member of the board, have a say on, on whether or not, let's say, they're exempt from those 15 regulations? So the, the regulations are uh, promulgated by the state board, mm. which is also an election that will be coming up next year. However, here's the thing. So, so let's now go back and address the question of, how uh, long ago did charters uh, start in DPS? Yeah. I think there may have been some charters before, but when Bennett came along, at that point, all of our DPS schools were being overseen fully by the school board. Mm -hmm. Bennett is brought on by... And that's Michael Bennett, current Michael, U.S. Senator, yes. who was in charge of DPS at some yes, point? Yes, yes. Okay. He's brought along by... Uh, governor, uh, not governor, back then mayor, Hickenlooper. Mm -hmm. And he, I believe, had been serving at the Anschutz Family Foundation at that mm -hmm. point. So here's a person who doesn't have any background in education. However, he's being brought in to um, be the superintendent of the largest school district in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And he decides that he's going to do things a little bit differently, that he's going to fix education by um, making it a little bit more receptive to market forces, I guess. That's how I think of how all these people explain charters. So that's when the reform movement really starts, is with Superintendent Bennett. And then he passes the baton on to Tom Bosberg, whom he had uh, he had known them. They they both knew each other personally, and Bosberg succeeds Bennett and continues that path of how do we keep innovating and creating a more um, a system that is not fully traditional public schools. Mm -hmm. And over the years since then. Uh, since Bennett and then Bosberg and now Superintendent Cordova, we've got a system 
that went in 1997 from being fully traditional public schools that were being overseen by the board. In 2007, it was 85% of our schools that were traditional and being overseen by the board. To 2017, 47% of our schools are traditional public schools fully overseen by the board. And the reason I keep saying fully overseen by the board is the way our charters and innovation schools work is that um, they can be exempt from, as I said, a bunch of regulations that apply to our other schools. But not only that, they, they will often have their own executive principal, CEOs, appointed boards, basically a level of administration within each of these schools mm -hmm. that prevents data from flowing up easily and prevents the board from looking in thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Plus, the way it's set up is that those schools, as long as they're performing, at the beginning when they come up for, you know, we are a new charter school, we'd like a new charter, yeah, they come before the board. After that, every year they submit their big data points of, mm -hmm. you know, how, how they're doing. And then when they come up for renewal, they show up again. But we're not digging into them and we're not getting the kinds of data points that we get with other schools. Mm -hmm. And that's why I keep saying that, you know, it's not full board oversight. Mm -hmm. To my mind, uh, we only look at them if, well, we don't look at them <laughs> unless yeah. unless something um, is keyed up. Are, are there any charter schools that are like actually success, actual success stories that you think maybe other charters could copy them in, in being better? Because I've heard of I, some schools like the Stapleton, Stapleton schools, right? School, uh, school of Science and Technology. Are those DSSD. charter schools? Yes, DSSD, Denver School of Science and Technology is considered, yes, it is a charter school. This depends on the parents, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So let me take one step back first and then come back to this question. What we have in DPS is a system of portfolio. What we have done is we have told people they have so much choice that they can choose to go to any school. Oh, this school's not working for you? That's okay, there are other options. Mm -hmm. The problem is you have wasted your school year or maybe part of it and you're in angst before you are, are looking for another school. That may or may not take you in the middle of the school year and then you have to try it out before you realize is this gonna work or not work. That's an entirely destabilized educational system and that's not how it should be. Number two, I actually know of parents in some of those schools that are facing some very genuinely serious problems. And harking back to the point I just made a few minutes ago about full oversight, one of those parents is having an issue with the school and it is not coming before the board. That issue went straight out of the system to a different board. Well, and I'm not at liberty to talk about it more, yeah. but if it's a DPS school, mm -hmm. if it's a public school, how is it that the issue that is in question did not come before well, our I, board. I want to talk about sort of how that mm -hmm. transition works. I want, and I know that charter schools tend to be owned, not owned necessarily by companies, but companies run them and have applied for them and everything like that. Is that the process you're talking about? Sort of that company, whatever's running it, paying the teachers, whatnot, that's the one that took the incident to the side out of the school board's hands? You know, that's an interesting question. 
this is why I want to run for the board and be on the board, <laughs> is I, I want to figure out how did it get out of the system, mm -hmm. right? If, for instance, I know that there are lots of parents who have sued DPS. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about them? No. Right. I actually know parents who have sued. I actually know parents who may have won or lost. Do they have like a non-disclosure and stuff? They have non-disclosures, but also, where's the fund that's paying people who have won against DPS? Out of DPS? Yeah, but where, right? You would think that we, we would be able to know. It should be accounted for, right? You, you would think. Mm -hmm. We have a publicly elected board. We yeah. should be able to say, here's the fund. Here's how many suits there were last year. Uh, here's how many topics those suits were about. You know, every time you dig, it's like you have to do a Quora and try and get the information. And you would think a transparent school district could have all those things available easily, right? So that's an excellent question, Saeed. Who Thank took you. that case out? Where did it mm -hmm. go? How did it flow the way it flew? Yeah. Not necessarily with particulars about the case or anything like that, just like the process in itself, how it was taken out. And you say you have no clue. There's no information about that out there. Maybe if you're a school board member, you can help alleviate some people's worries. Well, I know where it went. Okay. As I said, I'm not at a liberty to talk about it, yeah. but because, you know, it's an ongoing issue, but I know where it went. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are these channels mm -hmm. where information is flowing through. Can I ask, if you know where it went, can you say maybe is it the same company that's supposed to be running that school or was it like an arbitration firm or something? I believe there are lawyers involved. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <All> right, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave it there, yeah. Yes, yes. But, but you know, I'm working with some other activists, right, that are um, all very concerned about this issue and want, is, want more transparency. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a school system, of course, you know, I'm not saying that charters are evil and get it wrong and public schools are perfect and get it right. No. Any school can get it wrong. The point is that we, this is a system that is supposed to serve us and our children. Mm -hmm. And the best way to serve us and our children is that when something goes wrong, the mm -hmm. best way to serve us is to be transparent, is mm -hmm. to al allow everybody to look in and say, how could we do this better? Mm -hmm. How could we do this differently? How could we serve all of our children? And this level of secrecy mm -hmm. is troubling. I know that you're in a nonpartisan race, but... There's an organization, I think, called Democrats for Education Reform, a.k.a. DEFER. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like they have the Democrat tag on them, but it may not necessarily fit. Do you see that organization playing a role in that, what you're talking about, helping to facilitate maybe moving that out? Because I know that they play a big role in bringing what we call charter schools, but you said it clearly before, they're not. What do you, what do you think they played in that or charter schools in general? Can we talk about them a little bit? Sure. So this is this legend, as I hear it, okay. is that when the movement towards privatization of e education, because let's call it what it is, mm. charter schools in and of themselves are not bad. What is bad is if we have a public education system that cannot survive the onslaught of privatization, because at the very basis of this democracy, is a public education system so that every child and every citizen can access, and non-citizen, anybody on the soil of this nation can access public education in order to be able to be successful in life. 
just to have those opportunities. So the movement towards privatization is a very, um, it, it was a movement that was driven more by the, the, right, uh, the right side of the political spectrum, which believes that market forces can alleviate and cure most things, and that government inter intervention can lead to problems. Now, I'm not denying that government can get it, get it wrong sometimes, absolutely. Yeah. But I would rather have a government-funded, fully public education system because then it has due process and it is open to everybody. Accountability. Accountability. Mm -hmm. So that movement towards privatization was driven by such values as, you know, fewer labor rights, fewer collective bargaining. Mm -hmm. School choice. Homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Teaching other, <laughs> how <laughs> shall I put it? Theories of science, you yeah. know, right? That yeah. science. Al alternative science. <laughs> right. alternative Al science. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I love that. I'm going to use that again. Alternative yeah. science, right? So, so that movement, legend has it, realized that they could only get so far as long as only one part of the political spectrum was agreeing with them. That if they could find people on the other side of the political spectrum that also agreed with them, then the movement could be on steroids moving forward. Mm. And that's where you get Democrats for education reform forming as a group coming out and saying that, ah, education sucks. It's uh, failing all of us, and we need to fix it. And the way to fix it is to have some privatization, have some market uh, forces, fix education. Mm. So it's... It's almost a manufactured crisis, mm -hmm. I would say. So that's where this is coming from. Now, Democrats for Education Reform may be pushing a certain agenda through privatization, but I am not sure that they're inside of these schools specifically other than in terms of people who agree with those philosophies rather than, mm. rather than the organization itself having... Uh, being in these uh, places. Plus, as you may have heard in this election cycle, uh, Defer said that it was not going to be playing a role, that it had a lot more stuff to do at the state legislative uh, uh, areas rather mm. than in the school board. So they're going to focus on lobbying more. Yes, mm. as well as changing, you know, strengthening the state requirements. Remember I said the waivers mm -hmm. are coming from the state level. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, however... All of a sudden, a new organization popped up this election cycle. Wonder if you've heard of it. What is it called? Esper. I have not. No. Students for Education Reform. Oh. You should look at some of the flyers for some of uh, the people running for board. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the way DFER and Esper uh, interfere in our elections because we allow uh, organizations to have a say, as you know is through IECs, independent, yes. independent, ex, ex, independent expenditure committees. Yes. If you look at some of the flyers that are flying around <laughs> Denver currently, this mm. election season, you will see that they are paid for by ESPER, Students for Education Reform. And that's probably an organization that we cannot find 
much, if anything, about, right? Because it's an ICE. New organization as well. It is a newish organization. It, yes, it is interesting, right? That there's a brand new form of this and, you know, students. Uh, and people will say it's, oh, these are wonderful. You know, these are minority students. Right. They've gone to college for the first time. So my question is, I, I remember being a student and I didn't really have a lot of money. So uh, if this is students for education reform, where's all this money coming from? Saeed, you were ob- obviously a very smart student. <laughs> I, I, you I, know, I, can't, I can't imagine being a student in debt and through the largesse of my heart, having all this money to throw at the DPS school board elections. Yeah, and start an advocacy organization. Right. <laughs> right. In fact, uh, some of the people, when when door knockers from S4 have showed up at your door, you know, there are some people who've been smart enough to say, oh, come in, sit down, have a glass of water, talk to me, tell me how you got into this. And it turns out they're paid canvassers. (laughs) Um, They may be students, but they're also paid canvassers. And when they're told how things are uh, actually working out in terms of uh, this organization called ESFER, mm. some of them realize where they're falling in mm. terms of this race. I want to talk about a, a loophole with charter schools, not necessarily in DPS, but one um, I've been familiar with uh, mostly in Texas and California. Um, there has been an FBI investigation that there was a particular uh, political slash religious group uh, from a country which we will not name, <laughs> where they started running charter schools and mostly using it as a cash cow. First, they were able to get kickbacks. Of course, those are all allegations, and FBI is still investigating, but they're able to get you know kickbacks from construction. They apparently brought in many teachers from overseas, including to teach English. Um, and there were allegations of kickbacks from the teachers to fund the political lobbying efforts um, of that particular group and uh, that that was the first time that I was sort of confronted with um, with the potential loopholes of you know charter schools mm-hmm. of course thankfully I don't think this is an issue that has uh, surfaced in, in Colorado but are, are, are those things part of your radar in terms of loopholes and potential problems with charter schools so yes I've heard of that too and uh by the way, Texas and California seem to be the hotbeds of, you know, where these things first occur. But there's a reason for that. Uh, the largest populations, the textbooks based around them usually. and So that movement that I talked about earlier where, you know, they first started to uh, privatize and they uh, – so the conservative side of the political spectrum decided that, you know, hey, there are these grassroots races – that don't draw much attention, much money, not you know these are volunteer boards, and this is where they first start overtaking the system in Texas and California, and you get the two biggest school districts, so you're absolutely right, Saeed. and that's where the story then goes on so you know um there's actually a very interesting article that was written um up in Forbes, and you know Forbes is not by any means a liberal rag <laughs> but but they wrote an article that says uh, that's titled uh, how to make profit from your nonprofit charter school mm. and I think that that lays out like 10 different ways that you can pay yourself when you run a charter school um, you know the the issue is we 
what whatever they're doing is not clear that we will we have seen anything of it yet. Part of that is because we have a board um, that agrees with reform, that agrees with the principles of privatization, and so why would you dig deeper, right? So right now, this entire movement to flip the board is about that, mm -hmm. is about how do we get people in here that will be critical and look at all the schools openly. If it is great and they're doing wonderful things, then great, let's spread that. Let's spread that knowledge. Let's make all of our schools good. If there's something not quite so good about them, then it is public tax dollars. And the board was elected to oversee all of this. The other thing is if you go to the Department of Education website, and one of our supporters recently did, you can start to see some um, some ways where the public traditional public schools differ from the charter schools in terms of spending. You can start to see where their money is going. Mm. And those are exactly some of the things that raise the same concerns for me, Simon, that you have with loopholes. Mm. Is that if there's things going on and we're not finding out, I'll tell you that Hamilton Middle School, this is in my district, Hamilton Middle School, uh, the 2012 bond and mill levy override said that all schools can have um, arts. Mm -hmm. And it was a wonderful idea. And in 2016, there is a press release where there is a board member and there is a new dance teacher. And they, this press release is talking about this dance studio that's in Hamilton that's been paid for by the tax dollar. And this program never gets underway. 2017, there's no dance program, despite the fact that a dance studio is built. Nobody budgeted for a program. So they, they built it. They hired the teacher. They did the press release. But they did not have funds to sustain a dance program. Mm. I see what you're saying. So how long did it actually go for before they stopped it? Did it even start? 2017, you there was no program. Didn't start? All right. Mm. That I mean, it's just you're blown. Yeah, it, to spend all all that time and resources and then not have it happen. Yeah, it's just yeah, you caught me off guard with that one. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, right. And not the only thing, right? I mean, th these kinds of things that are approved by DPS that are supposedly there's a DAC committee, which is District Advisory Committee. Um, there's also the collaborative school committees. So so DPS has a DAC, which is a district advisory committee. The schools have the collaborative school committees. There are all these bodies that are supposed to help decide how uh, decisions are going to be made about what is funded, what, what, what are the priorities. And it would seem to me that, given all of these, that people would be aware of what's going on. And yet, if you go and look on DPS's website, there are a few people that keep showing up on these committees over and over again. Mm -hmm. And now, for the first time, we're starting to see a lot more community engagement, people who are say stepping up and saying, no, I want to be part of this and I want to have a look at it. So I feel like the tide is turning in our favor, that there are good things happening and we are starting to look at some of these things more closely. No, that was great. <laughs> Let me plug my website. Please do. Yes. So my name is Radhika Nath, and I'm running for District 1 in D for DPS School Board. And my website is radfored, 
R-A-D-F-O-R-E-D.org. See how clever I was? I'm That's playing the on. best one I've heard. <laughs> <yet>. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm riffing off Red for Ed, but it's radfored.org. <laughs> you can also reach me directly at 720-984-7450 or my email rad at radfored.org. Thank you, Saeed and Simon. This no was problem. wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. We today. really appreciate you being here. And I know there's so much more we could talk about for DPS, but I think we've we beat down charter schools pretty oh. hard. But I mean, funding and stuff like that. But uh, we'd love to have you back another time to have you discuss that too. Thank you. Um, maybe before the election, if you're available. Of if course. not, you know, after you're elected would be great. Yeah. So that, <laughs> um, but now we want to move into what we call final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you know, I'll go first. You want to go first? I'll go first. Okay, go, go ahead. Don't, <laughs> that take, will be, don't take mine. That'll be a first. Is it impeachment? Yes. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. No, 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 no. Take it. You're good. Go ahead. So I'm not going to say much about impeachment. I'm going to say what I think we need uh, for democracy to continue working in this country. And we need a humiliating defeat of Donald Trump in 2020. Otherwise, the far right is going to keep feeling like they have been in the right and this was all a righteous thing for them to do. If they barely lose, right, they're going to feel that this was, you know, cheated and and um, they were, you know, having, they had their candidate stolen or the presidency stolen from their great president. So we need a Nixon McGovern <laughs> race, a little ironic. Uh, <laughs> and so it's important for Democrats to think about that moving forward. Of course, I think on average impeachment was the right inquiry to make because ultimately the legislative branch is responsible for the Constitution to for it to continue functioning, uh, but maybe not the best pol- political move for, for Democrats. I think my final thought is with the impeachment, the timing is terrible. They waited way too long. Uh, I don't know what it's going to serve because the process will take so long. It's really just to disrupt the election. I feel like Nancy Pelosi is a blowhard who's just trying to do everything she can to hold power. Really getting sick of it. Um, It should have been done a long time ago if you're going to do it. I mean, Mueller's report came out a while back, and they did some inquiries. They even had Robert Mueller in there talking about everything. Uh, we saw that, you know, Barr basically gave a a quick synopsis of the report, and it's, it's just clear that everything they're doing in this presidency is against regular protocol precedent set by other presidents and their administration. It's It's absolutely confounding and should have happened a lot sooner. That's my thought. Oh, my gosh, you guys. So imagine you guys have turned out so good and you know all about how to engage in politics. And yet our DPS schools don't have enough civics lessons. How are we going to grow the next generation to come out politically engaged, voting, and, you know, taking care of this nation? In order to do that, we need to make sure that we have lots of engagement at the schools with all kinds of topics and content and children learning these things so that they can articulate what they feel and they can fight for what is right. Thank you. That was beautiful. That was great. That's all all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us. Do you guys want to say bye? Bye.